This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right, um, let's go ahead and get started. We only have we have less than an hour now, so I'd like to get started. Uh, my colleague uh, Arnold Hooker will share uh, something in just a few moments, but um, before. Before we get into today's study, I mean, to this session study, which will be a little shorter than the last one. Um, no, just hold it, because that's going to be for him. That's going to, oh, okay. No, you can't. You can't. You just have to call it out. Okay, so before we get started, just like to know, are there any questions? And then Arnold will come right up. Uh, maybe on what we studied just uh, this past session. Um, I'm sorry I didn't get to finish it. There was some other interesting information I wanted to share, but I think you got the gist of it. Are there any questions? Yes. Can you speak up? So. Yes. Let's let's draw that to a conclusion. Very good. Thank you very much. I saw someone do like this time, and that kind of threw me. So uh, let me just say the conclusion is this: God calls the willing. And that's you or me. And God qualifies us when we respond to the call. He does not ask us. There is no perfect missionary. And there is no personality type that God cannot use. And, you know, if you're not a public speaker, ask God to use you in some other way. But there is room for everyone in mission service. You don't have to be a pastor to be a missionary. Willing to be used by God, willing to be shaped by God, and honest before God as were the men that we saw today. I mean, brutally honest and willing to let God mold them. So, so the surprising conclusion is that God can use even me. No matter where I've been, what I've done, if I'm willing to let him mold me, when he confronts me with the truth, will I respond? That's the surprising conclusion. Now, you don't have to be a doctor or a, a, a PhD or a, a linguist um, some of the most gifted language learners have never gone to school. Trust me, I, I lived with them and worked with them in Africa. Um, people speak three, four, five languages and cannot read a letter because God has given them that gift. So God has a place for you. Uh, is God calling you? Are there any other questions? Is there another question or two uh, before we go into this session study? No? Okay. Well, I'm going to turn it over to Arnold, and he's going to talk a little bit. This is how to prepare to be a missionary. This is going to be less theoretical, less um, uh, about um, uh, ideas. Well, there will be ideas, but more about practical things about how to prepare to become a missionary. There we go. Good. Um, <clears throat> it just so happens that this GYC uh, takes place in Seattle. And um, I grew up in a, in a little town called Renton, about uh, 20 miles from here. And uh, my father owned Golden Stitch Furniture Factory in Seattle here. 
and my brother Ken owned Seattle Furniture Factory, and when I graduated from high school, I started what I called Master Stitch Furniture Factory. And uh, so when I went to the mission field, I was asked to uh, make jobs for people, not because uh, I'm anything special. I remember my father at Golden Stitch when I was a young man, 16 years old, making right arms on a sofa. And, he, and, he, and I said, please, Dad, no more right arms. And he said, okay, make left arms, which is the mirror image of the right arm. I can make about 10 different styles of furniture with my eyes closed, literally. And I remember a young man came up to me, and he said to me, Mr. Hooker, no more right arms. And I said, okay, left arms. Because that was the way I learned how to make furniture. Repetition. And my grandfather went to about the third grade. My father went to about the ninth grade, and I never finished high school. I'm not telling you that because I'm proud of it. I'm telling you that if God can use me in the mission service, he can use you. And I'm going to tell you, any kind of information you can put into your mind that is godly, that is worthwhile, any kind of profession that you can do, knitting, sewing, learning about computers. I remember the first year we had Michael Stow come to Cambodia, and we were having trouble getting churches established in Cambodia. And one of the ministry was the ministry of cults and religion. And the, the cults and religion part was the, what, what we, they considered Seventh-day Adventist. Everyone else was religion. 98% Buddhist in this country, and we were the cults. Imagine that. Seventh-day Adventist, are we cults? Well, uh, I hope not. Michael Stow went into the religious uh, department and asked them if there was anything they could do, and they had been donated computers and had no idea how to use them. He was fresh out of La Sierra College, and he got their computers up and running. They were so happy. When we went in for the signature we needed for the religious cults and religions to get our church established, he took it to the person who he had got his computer going, We got our signature. They didn't even look at it. Just signed it off. And and I realized that if their signature was on it, the other seven ministries in in the city where we were starting these things would put their signature on it. God worked it out so that because of what we did for the country, what we did for the country, the country was willing to help us. And then we were doing more for the country than they could imagine. Now, in a little, in a little town called Kampong-Cham, there's a church and a church school there, not because of what Arnold Hooker could do. Because I'm, no, I'm nothing special. But I did learn how to speak Cambodian, which I never thought I would ever learn how to do. I mean, that was just something that was uh, amazingly foreign to me when I remember going into Cambodia and uh, hearing the Cambodian language and thinking, I'm going to starve to death. 
I'm literally not going to learn how to say any of their their vegetables. I'm not going to know how to say, cook me this or cook me that. But I will just say that if you think you're inadequate for mission service, you're not. And if you don't think God can qualify you if he's called you, and I, I'm, a, I'm one of these people that differ. I, I think that we rewrite Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. It's written like this. Stay ye here for and teach this nation, baptizing this nation over and over again. Is that what it says? No. I, um, I realized very late that um, maybe God could use me. I remember going to the mission field and, and, and thinking I was so inadequate. Every day thinking I was so inadequate. And that's just where God wants you to be. If you think you're adequate, I'd say probably don't, don't try going. I remember this last uh, two months ago, Diane and I came back from Adventist Frontier Missions. We've decided to be field supervisors. Field supervisors means that we'll be over a certain area of the world. In my case, in Diane's case, honey wave back there. Um, We'll be over Cambodia, Nepal, and the Philippines. We'll be living in Cambodia on a project. And um, we've decided to do this because I'm, I'm really tired of telling people, you need to go. You're qualified. God called you. And um, Diane is much more qualified than me. She, she was in the military for seven years. I, I sleep very well at night. I'm going to even sleep better than I did in the mission field before. She can, um, her, I always tell people her hands were trained by the U.S. government. Um, God will educate you as you need. You think that you'll get there and you'll have the answers for whatever you're going to do, but God will go before you. And I pray the Holy Spirit before all of you in whatever your endeavor is on this earth, that he goes before you and you know he's been there because when you get there, things happen that are supernatural. I can tell you supernatural things after supernatural things after supernatural things that happen when you put your hand in the, in the, in the creator of the universe's hand. And I will just tell you that every little thing that happened to me as a, as a young boy, I remember I used to love to fix toasters. I found that by shortening the element a little bit, tearing them apart, shortening the element a little bit, I could make a toaster have a new life. And my mom, bless her heart, she had four toasters. You know, she hit them. In the, in. Um, I found that uh, by putting the right tubes in these old tube radios, you don't have them anymore. That ages me. I'm 52 years old. But I used to take a tube from this radio and put it in this radio, and it would start working. And my mom had three or four of those radios. I loved my mom, and I'd give her these gifts of broken things fixed. And when I was in the mission field, I remember having very little things, and God would bring it back to my mind. I can fix it that way. I can do it that way. 
I remember the president of the mission then, Bruce Bauer and Linda Bauer, showing up at my house. And uh, I said, wow, it's such a, so good to have you here. And I, why are you here? And he said, we need a good shower. And I had rigged a shower. I'd taken a 55-gallon drum and put a 30,000 BTU heater underneath of it. And you could get 60 gallons of hot water anytime you needed it just by running the propane for about 30 minutes. And we had people just show up because they needed a hot shower. Imagine 90 degrees, 90% humidity, and you get a trickle coming out of your wall every day for your shower. Now, a cold shower is nice, but it doesn't get the skin oil off of you. You've got to have a hot shower once in a while. God has given each of you gifts. If it's not to build a shower or a sewer system, it's some other thing that will be so important to somebody, they will show up to your house to get what you got. And my prayer is that all of you will say, I, I know that God has called me to go here or there. Um, but I will tell you that there's no better practice than your next door neighbor. And if you haven't been to your next door neighbor's house and went up to his door, hi, I'm Arnold from next door. You know, um, <clears throat> I hate to tell you, but... Um, I've given baskets to my neighbors. I, I have the neighbor from, I, I won't say that, but uh, he builds things on my property without asking me. He moves his fence onto my property. Diane and I have decided, I don't care if he builds his fence on my property. We have to be Christian neighbors. If it's not going to make any difference in the next life, he can fight with the next person on the, on the property line. I don't care. I just don't care. All of a sudden, Tom becomes my friend. I got, he built bird nests on my property. Tom, that is the nicest bird nest. That is such a nice bird nest. What would make you think to build that for me? He says, there's a certain kind of duck that could come in your pond and if we build it close to the pond at water's edge, he might inhabit that. I'm starting to get excited about my crazy neighbor. <laughs> I might get one of those special ducks inside of that box that he built for me on my property. I remember Hong. And Hong brought a dog home. And I'd never seen people eat dog before. But I used to eat meat three times a day, Mark. Never thought anything of eating a chicken, a cow. Things will be looked different to you in the mission field. Put away all your ideas of what's normal. And um, I will just say, if I can do it, you can do it. And... um, Talk to me afterwards. I have some information if you would like to, if you'd like to be a, a frontier missionary. It's always a blessing to get um, real, <laughs> live uh, experience um, from people who've done it and who've been there. Thank you very much, Arnold. And he'll continue to share.
throughout the course of um, these these um, these seminar this seminar. So, how does one prepare to become a missionary? Um, how does one get fitted up? I can't do that. There's just no way I can be a missionary. Well, like Arnold said, that's that's kind of where God wants us, so that He can mold us to to be what what He wants us to be. Um, if we will look very quickly at the lesson for for um, the third session, doing my part, preparing the heart. So, how does God prepare um, a missionary? If we read in Acts nine verses ten through seventeen. And we discover that Paul was not given um, directly from God what he should do. He was sent to people. Uh, Does anyone know where Paul was sent? Right, well actually Ananias was sent to him, that's right. But Paul was put into the arms of the church. The very church that he had been persecuting... The very church that he hated and the very church that distrusted him was the church that would now prepare him for mission service. Uh, The best preparation for mission service is in the arms of the church. Uh, In your local church, in your... In in your school, if you go to an academy or... or Adventist University or Christian University, there are opportunities where you are in your church, in the Adventist church, um, to serve and to prepare for um, mission service. Now, let me just say this as an aside. This isn't really part of the lesson. But there's a lot of talk now in mission circles, um, especially when it comes to working with resistant religions like Islam, that maybe we should keep them somehow uh, outside of the church when they're converted. Um, that's, that's often spoken about now. Um, there, there are some difficulties in working with resistant religions and some really big challenges. People can lose their lives. People lose their families. I mean, there's some really big issues. But, 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 if God can bring someone like Paul and connect him with the church, I think he would expect us to do the same for others who are converted. Amen? It's difficult, but it's not impossible. It may even have to be secretive, but they should be connected with God's people. So I just wanted to, to uh, share that. And you know what? I, I, I really do, we do need to finish this, and we're going to finish it, but you know, I left, I left the end of the story from last session, I left it untold. Would you all give me permission just to finish that? Would that be Okay. So Judson now is, and it, and it segues perfectly into, what, into preparing to be a missionary. So Judson now has married his third wife, lost a lot of children, spent a lot of time in prison. He finally finishes this Bible that he's translated, and now the Burmese people have the word of God. Amen. And after working for years and years and years and years, remember he worked for six years and after six years, he saw his first convert. And then it was, they began to trickle in year after year after year. Do you know how many years he worked till he had his first furlough? Anyone want to take a stab at that? 33 years. Talk about dedication. 33 years, and that's where, on this furlough, after his second wife died, he met his third wife. 
And she went back with him. And now he's getting up there in, in, in years and age, but he's cheerful. He's not beaten down by all the troubles and trials. Remember, God's call is general, but it's intensely personal. And if God has called us to mission service, he will give us the resources, financial and internal, to deal with whatever it is that we have to in the call. So here's uh, Judson, and now Judson falls sick. So what's the cure for him? Ship voyage. That's right. Let's put him on a ship. So he leaves his wife and children behind, and now he goes on a voyage, and what do you think happens? Anybody want to take a stab at that one? What do you think happens to Justin, this man who suffered so much for the gospel, who's done so much? You know, how we, you know when, when we were serving overseas, I, I have to admit it, um, we'd come home and people would treat us too nicely. You know, it's like, you know, you're, you're missionaries, you want to make things soft for you. you want to, there's this, there's this, there's this um, part of our culture where we respect ministers and missionaries and, and people who have what we say sacrificed for God. And so we, we often felt loved and respected by our friends when we came back. And, you know, I thought this would be the perfect ending of Judson's story. He finishes this arduous labor. He's lost his first wife and all his children from that wife. He's lost his second wife and, and many of his children from that wife. He's been in prison. He's been tortured. He's been abused. He's struggled. He's founded a church. Now this country has a gospel. It never knew it before. And the perfect ending is he comes home, he retires, and he lives out his, the rest of his days as a college professor. Or something like that, right? He dies on the ship voyage. His wife didn't know for four months that her husband's dead. I read the story, and I, I, I have to tell you, I wept. It doesn't seem fair. What is the, what is the recompense that Judson will have? Was his sacrifice, was his death, the service that he gave his, literally gave his life for, was it worth it? Let, let me answer that by telling you another story. So in, I don't know, the early 90s, um, went out to work in Southeast Asia as a missionary, and I'm working in refugee camps in, on the Cambodian border and the Laotian border. I had 18 churches in refugee camps. And the mission asked me one day, we want you to go up to the Burmese border. And there, that's not really part of your work, but there are refugees there from, from that part of uh, Myanmar, Burma. Uh, the, the Korean people and the, the government was fighting the Korean people, attacking them. And uh, so many of them had come and lived on the Thai side. And we want you to go up there, and there's a little school up there, we want you to hold a week of prayer. Um, so I held a week of prayer. It was really, really wonderful, just a wonderful experience. Then some months later, the, the camp meeting for that region was being held, so I was asked to go back up. Again, I was touched. Here, there was some, I met a young man there who had walked from India to Burma. Now, he'd walked, he'd gotten on buses, he'd walked. Two weeks to be at the camp meeting. The main speaker was a man from 
He had been the former mission president of Myanmar. He was, uh, he was probably close to 80 years old. He'd walked. And so I'm preaching there, and I wasn't the only speaker. There were many speakers. And I'm speaking, and it's at this school where I had, uh, actually it wasn't at the school, it was near the school. And so this is a bamboo building. Many of you have seen those or, or been places where there are bamboo buildings. Uh, and so the people just were coming, 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 hundreds of people. And so it got to a point where they had to take out the walls of the building so that they could add benches and, and you know, that more people could, could hear the messages. There are Christians there now. And, you know, not, there, the majority of people are still Buddhist, but there are many Christians in Myanmar as opposed to other Southeast Asian nations. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because the work in that country began centuries ago by a man who gave his life. Judson. Was his sacrifice worth it? Well, he, I'm sure he would say, yes. Up until the day he died, he was, he was very happy, uh, contented in the Lord. In fact, his third wife said, I've never seen him so happy. His, the, the, you know, if God has called us to service, though we may face trials, though we may face difficulties, again, God gives us the resources, the skills, the capacities, and the joy in doing what he's called us to do. Amen? So Judson ended his days like that, and I tell you, even to tell you, it's still difficult for me. You know, there's something about my... I've, we had a friend, an Adra worker, when we worked in, in uh, Africa, and, and um, he, he's uh, French, and he would, he said, you know, we were talking one day, he said, American movies. He said, he said, oh, that's so American. Everything has to end just right. You know, every, you end the story and everyone lives happily ever after. That's not how it works. We live in a world that's controlled by the enemy. So it didn't work out just perfectly for Judson, but then in a sense, it did. Because now there are thousands and thousands of people who worship the Lord. Because of his sacrifice. Could God be calling you? How does God, we have just a few moments, how does God prepare us, or how do we prepare for mission service? Uh, We've seen this quote before, so I'll just pass over it. Prayer is essential. We must seek God's guidance. We must have a team, a team that we pray with, a team that prays for us when we serve, a team that anticipates our needs. And then understand your uh, team dynamics. That is, the team that prays for you here, if you go to work with the team, the most effective missionaries are not the missionaries that try to do everything alone. Everyone has been given gifts, and those gifts that God has given us augment another person's gift. So, you know, it's funny. I've seen it again and again in the mission field. I've experienced it myself. The mission field is tough. It's raw. It's difficult. And... Judson and his mission station, they had a lot of missionaries come out over those years. And boy, they were always in conflict. And one of the biggest reasons that missionaries come home after sickness is what? Conflict. There's something about being in the mission field that's, that's so difficult. And you know, it, 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 it's not a weak person that can stay in the mission field. It's a person that's kind of hard-headed. You ever been called stubborn or hard-headed? 
It's good to be hard-headed for the Lord. Amen? It's a person that now, you know, you have to be careful how you say that, and you'll understand how I'm saying that. But it's a person that has to, that has to learn, that has learned how to hang in there and take it. Satan is not going to roll out the red carpet and say, welcome to my territory. You can expect to become the target of the enemy. God gives us, again, the capacity to take it. You will be threatened. Some people will be threatened. Some people may um, lose support. Um, some, you will ha- some will have to face danger. But if God has called us to serve him, as he did for Judson, he will do for us. He will give us the capacity to take whatever it is that the enemy throws in our way. And you know the beautiful thing about that is, and that's why prayer is so essential at the very beginning, because we need to know when we hit those difficult days that God has led us. We need to be able to look back and say, you know what, God's called me here, and he hasn't told me to leave, so no matter what happens, God's going to keep me through this. And you know the powerful thing is, when Satan attacks and, and, and something's stolen, and, and maybe you're, you're at church and your whole house, you come back and your house is empty, robbed. God can use opportunities like that, times like that, to be a powerful witness to win people to him. I've seen it happen. So the thing that Satan tries to use to discourage or destroy us, God turns it around, and you may see, a missionary may see his first convert through that experience. We saw that happen. Become acquainted with your people, the culture. Learn about your people, group, your project. Um... Meet people from the group. You know, the, the beautiful thing about living in the cosmopolitan United States, or anywhere in the world now, is you can meet people from everywhere. Isn't that right? So it's not hard to go and to find people who speak the language of the people group or the country you're going to. Get an idea of the language or the culture. You know, um, it is so important to realize that people relate, and, and many of you understand this, I know. People who have lived in other cultures or grew up in other cultures understand that people see the world radically differently. And many times a preacher will go to a country and he'll preach someone who's not maybe a missionary and not sensitive to these kind of things, and he'll preach about, you know what, brothers and sisters, Um, the truth that I'm telling you, I'm just telling you the tip of the iceberg. We're just scratching the surface. And the person sitting there in the jungle says, what is he saying? What is an iceberg? A person in a jungle, have they ever seen an iceberg? Do they even know what an iceberg is? So it's important that the missionary understand his people group, get an idea of the language and the culture. You know something? Um, one time, uh, my daughter was going into a house, a neighbor's house, and she, she walked in, and she just kicked off her flip-flops, and they went upside down. And the lady looked at my daughter. What's wrong with you? You want your mother to die? I was like, what did I do? Turn your shoes over. Just turn your shoes over. You're cursing your mother if you keep them up. It's important to know what people think so that we know how to address their needs from the Word of God. So one way to prepare is to get an idea of the language uh, and the culture. Now here's another thing. Go back to Zinzerdorf uh, just for a minute. Something that he did when he was preparing missionaries, I'll just read this. Zinzerdorf tested them with severe discouragement. 
Now, you know, I just I wonder, Arnold, if that'd be a good way to prepare missionaries. It's to try our best to discourage them. <laughs> what he did, he just he would test them with discouragement and delay. He would even order them to disembark. So they're getting on the ship. They're getting on the plane. He calls up the pilot on the plane and says, take those two people off. They don't belong on there. They're on the plane to go to their mission field or on the in this case, on their ship. And he says, disembark. After they boarded the ship, if he had any doubt about their qualifications, boy, that's pretty tough. So even to the very last day, if he had a doubt about their qualifications, he'd tell them to get off of the ship. He wanted the aspiring missionaries to count the cost thoroughly before setting out. That would leave no room for hidden faint-heartedness and disloyalty to hinder the work later. Each volunteer was required to respond to questioning by Zinzerdorf before the whole congregation. Dr. Rainier... For example, submitted to the following examination when he desired to become a medical missionary to Suriname. So this is the question. These are the questions that he's asking in front of... Looks like we lost the text. Um, let me see if I... Well, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, go ahead anyway. What makes you think you are called to this work? And so, okay, you know, the questions are all there. You're right. I have long felt an inward call to preach the gospel to others. What do you intend to do in Suriname? I will do my best to earn my living and to bring sinners to Christ. How do you intend to get there? I shall simply trust Christ to show me the way. Whoa. Praise God, we don't have to do it quite like that now. We have uh, plans that are a little, a little easier than that. Um, how long do you intend to stay there? I shall stay there, listen to this, either till I die or till the alder, elders call me to another field. You think he felt that the call was personal for him? Then, um, how do you propose to treat your wife? I will love her with all... What does that have to do with being a missionary? You think he was getting a little personal? A li- someone said a little. Who agrees he was getting a little personal? Well, it matters. It matters because people will be watching. And, you know, many times in non-Christian well, people who don't know Christ don't know the simple things of, of, of how to treat husband and wife. How do you propose to treat your wife? I will love her with all my heart, but I shall not allow my love for her to interfere with my work. Whoa. How will you treat the congregation you are leaving? I will honor and obey Hernhut, Hen, whoever speaks German will be upset with me. Hernhut. Did I say that right? No, okay. As my spiritual mother, that was the town that Zinzerdorf founded. How will you behave if you have to wait a long time before you go? If I have to wait for a ship, I shall simply regard the delay as the will of the Lord. So here it is. You know, people are preparing for mission service, but once they've decided that, yes, they understand that God is calling them, they didn't let obstacles and discouragements deter them from the call of God. And and here's the interesting thing. Circumstances do not determine whether you're called of God or not once you've received the call. We have a tendency to look at circumstances, challenges, obstacles. Maybe God is closing this door because I'm having this problem, because my wife is sick. Maybe God is telling me I need to go home because the people in this village don't like me. Maybe, maybe, yes, but most likely not. Circumstances do not determine the call of God. 
It's the call of God to us. And many times those difficulties that we face, God is trying to teach us something. He's trying to teach us something. And you know what? When we face difficulties like that in the mission field, it's those times where we're so close to seeing the hand of God do something miraculous. If we hold on. If we hold on. But those are times when the testing is close. And it's only through faith in Christ, trusting Him. He's called us. He will accomplish the work He's called us to if we hang in there. And He gives us the ability to hang in there and to take it. Study is essential, and we must study, study what is essential. Study, as we spoke about, the culture and the worldview of the people. And I can't say it enough. Study language, language, language. You may, we may never become fluent in the language. But if we can understand and be understood, we've gone a long way to reaching the hearts of the people. Not only that, but we'll understand them better and be, be able to see into their hearts when we learn to speak the language. And you know, as we study, we've got to be able to take with a grain of salt. You've got to be able to laugh at yourself. Um, that's something that's been very hard for me to do over the years as a missionary. I mess up in a language, you know, some formal setting. I'm gone to see, I've gone to see a government official, and it occurs to me, I just insulted him. Like, oh, man, you kick yourself. Like, what did I say that for? You know, you didn't intend to I'm sorry, you didn't intend to say that, but that's just how it, how it came out, because you're not very good in the language. You've got to be able to laugh at yourself not kill yourself for the mistakes. Somehow God covers those over and, you know, the government official understands that you're, you're learning the language. And, he's, and one time in Africa, I went to a government official and it was he that made the mistake. And he said, he uh, was practicing his English and he was translating directly from French. And he said, hello, how are you, my darling? <laughs> okay. But I understood. He's learning the language and I was able to to overlook it. So we have to learn to laugh at ourselves and kind of uh, give ourselves a little grace because uh, people generally understand when we're trying. Uh, we need to learn, as Arnold said, life skills that are vital um, to, you know, one thing that we weren't prepared for. When we went to this last call to West Africa for 10 years, uh, the, the country that we were going to, uh, there was only there were one or two cities in the whole country at that time that had stable electricity. We were in the capital for the first two years, and we thought for sure they'd have electricity and be, you know, fine. Uh, it was good for the first couple of months, and then all of a sudden, the electricity started to disappear. And we, we were not prepared for the fact that, you know, we needed to know about solar. Um, and I'm not talking about this big, vast array. I'm talking about one or two panels and how to hook them up and have lights at night. And we just had not thought to prepare for that. So we need, as, as we prepare to be missionaries, think about the life skills that we, we need and before we go to prepare uh, for, for what uh, the eventuality. The security situation is really important. You know, in the world we live, the security situation in some countries... Can, um, can change overnight. And we uh, need to be aware of uh, what's happening in a place, uh, what, um, what um, military problems or threats there are, what problems with extremist groups. Um, 
It's, it's a sad reality that missionaries now uh, have to think about all of those things. Um, the pen of inspiration says what, what we have failed to do in a time of relative ease, we'd have to do in a time of great difficulty. I think we're, we're seeing that fulfilled right now. We're, we're having to face things that missionaries um, in ages past didn't have to face. But God, again, gives us the skill and the ability to, to do these things. So um, I, I would just like to say that in the case of Paul and in the case of uh, modern missionaries, all of these things can be gained through the church, through the local church, through um, schooling. Um, you know, you don't have to have a particular degree to be a missionary, but to be a missionary, we should like to study and learn uh, these things. And there, there, are, there are, you know, other uh, considerations. Financial support should be in place. Um, I don't know that God is calling us to be like Judson and change. In fact, I know that God's not calling us to be like Judson and change our denomination on our way over. You know, Judson changed from a Congregationalist to a Baptist in the ship and lost all of his support. But uh, make sure that it's in place. If it's GC, career service, uh, that's really not an issue if you're working with the General Conference or ADRA or some other uh, parachurch organization that, that uh, has a plan in place. I don't think you need to uh, worry about that. If pioneer missions, uh, organizations like AFM and other organizations uh, have pretty good support plans, very good support plans, but it does take a while to get a support team in place. That should be in place, must be in place before a person goes overseas. Because if anything happens... And God forbid that it happens. But if anything happens, it would be irresponsible for a missionary not to be taken care of who's put their life on the line. I'll say amen. A missionary that, who's put their life on the line, if there is a, an organization that's sending that missionary, needs to be in a place to take care of that missionary. Maybe with not, the missionary will never get rich. But if something, the unforeseen happens, if someone dies... There needs to be a plan in place so that people can be taken care of uh, when and if that happens. Tent-making missionaries can go to places where others cannot go. A tent-making missionary maybe has a skill as an, uh, an engineer or a, or a doctor or some other person who can, because of his skill, work with an international organization or work even for a local government and can get in places that a regular missionary cannot and usually their, their livelihood is their way in to a place. So they have a, a, a form of support. And then there's volunteer service. And volunteer service, again, um, you know, need to weigh uh, how long you can do it financially uh, like that. And uh, have a financial plan in place because there are, there are several things that bring missionaries back. And, that, and it's often um, health. Uh, many come back for children, children's education, which is understood. Uh, many come back uh, if there are uh, financial problems and conflict. So if, if those things in preparation can be thought about, those are less problems that the, the enemy can use during service to cut service short. And I believe that's it for practical guidelines for um, uh, how to prepare to be a missionary. Now I'd like to take any questions you may have. Do you have questions for what we talked about the last service or the last session, not service, about um, 
Adoniram Judson and just um, who God calls. And if you have questions about um, how to prepare for mission service, I can take a few now. We've got, uh, yeah, about 10 minutes left. Yes. That's a good question. You know, uh, spiritual. What What do you mean by spiritual? Yeah. Well, you know, the stories we saw earlier in this last session. You know, if you look at uh, Paul, if you look at the Wesley brothers, who had become missionaries and yet hadn't learned to trust in God fully. You know, if God's called us. He's going to equip us. And that is, he's going to give us the spiritual resources if we submit to him. And that, that's the thing. We have to submit to him. I don't know that you can conjure up enough spirituality to be a true missionary. It's God that gives us, gives us the ability to be missionaries as we submit to him. So God calls. We surrender. And we, he teaches us to trust a step at a time and to, as we are missionaries. Yes. Spoken like a true missionary. Uh, Brian and I were missionaries together back in Thailand. Brian's still in Southeast Asia as a missionary, and so he knows what he's talking about. Yes, ma'am. So do you have to have all kinds of money, though, to go? Like, can't you get a plane ticket and let God help you? Very good. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And there's, there's nothing that would... The question was, do you, do you need all kinds of money to go? Can't you just get a plane ticket and let God uh, help you? Yes, that's one way to do it, um, but when you have other people that are depending on you, if you have family, if you have children, it's always good to have a plan in place. I don't believe God looks frowns upon good planning. I don't think it's wrong also if God has called us on a, the spur of a moment to go and take a call, to get our plane ticket, and tr- totally trust Him. I think trust is involved either way. Yes. That's right. That's right. Very good. Very good. Thank you very much. Is there another question? None else? Yes. Yeah, mistakes in preparation. Yeah, probably number one is to not be prepared for the kind of things, the practical things that, that you have to face. That's been one. Number two is that a missionary thinks that, um, you, know, it, you know, they've got to have this, you know, all this knowledge and all this, all these degrees and all. You know, God, all he wants is a willing heart. If we're willing, he'll take us and he'll mold us. We don't have to be the perfect person. This, we don't have to be what Judson was after 30 years of work. Judson went as a raw young man determined to do God's work, and God shaped him. So those, those are the two main things, to not have the practical skills uh, that are needed. And number two is 
to think that we need some great big heap of preparation. We do need preparation, but we don't need a PhD to be a missionary. Yeah, yeah, and we'll talk more in uh, the next session tomorrow morning about learning how to cope, and we'll tell some more stories and look at some more mission history, missions history, but learning how to cope in the mission field, how to adapt, adjust, and cope, and that's one of those things. You know, you you we can learn to do a whole lot of things that we don't think we can, but if we've been well prepared and if we're willing to learn and go with an open mind and not a whole lot of expectations, we can adjust and really learn to love life in a different way, in a simpler way, in a new, new environment, new culture. Yes, sir. Well, for, you know, that's a good question. What do you find yourself praying for the most in the mission field? At the beginning, it's just, Lord, give me the grace to, to stick this out. Because when you first go through culture shock, it's tough. And when you realize that, you know, you've got to eat rice every day, every meal, it's like, where's the wheat thins? And then, you know, after, after you've adjusted, though, you come back here and you're like, what, there's no rice? This isn't a meal. That's really what happens. So at the beginning, you're praying for, Lord, just help me learn to adjust. Then after that, you begin to, you know, um, you, you can start, you can focus less on yourself, as you become more comfortable, as you connect with people in the culture, you begin, to pray more, you begin to pray more for people as you enter into their lives. And then you have something to pray for. But that first part, just, you know, it, it, the prayers almost seem selfish sometimes because you're just trying to hang in there and make it. But as you get close to people, as you make connections, as you begin to live in a new culture and enter into their lives, suddenly you have all these subjects of prayer. You're working with people. You're praying for their, their everyday lives. They're praying for you. And it's just, just a wonderful experience as you grow. The prayers grow as the person grows. I hope that answered your question. Okay. Yeah. Christians are bad. Um, uh, George Bush and Obama are bombing innocent Muslim children. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you divorce your national identity as an American or whatever uh, citizen? Good question. With being an ambassador for Christ in a context that is anti-American. Well, where we lived, even though it was a Muslim country, it wasn't particularly anti-American, but there were areas like that. And, you know, at first you don't easily separate your own culture. Again, it's a growth thing. You don't easily separate your own culture from, from your identity 
uh, as you grow and as you pray and as you hang in there, you learn to understand people's way of different ways of, of seeing things and doing things, and you begin to appreciate it. And you realize, and one thing for the one, and you know this, Brian, when you come back from being a missionary and having lived for a long time in another culture, you're never the same. And, and home doesn't look the same. And, and you realize that everything that is done here is not the right way to do it. And you realize that, you know what? Um, my friends over there have a lot of good sense. And you also realize when you watch the news on TV and you see people dying in, in Africa, you, you can smell the place. You can see it. And you can't just sit there and eat your dinner and feel comfortable like the average person who hasn't been there. So, you know, there's something that happens. I'll just tell you a quick story. I remember one time uh, the national football team, the soccer team in, in Guinea, had uh, beaten Morocco. Now, when I was in Africa, and when I'm in Africa, when I'm traveling, people think I'm Moroccan. I went to Morocco just a few months ago. They, uh, they thought I was Moroccan there. And so I made the mistake after the national soccer team had beaten Morocco for the first time in years of going out on, t- I said, I have to go to the church. I got on my motorcycle and I thought I was going to get across, way across town, about two miles to the church. After the national soccer team beat the Moroccan team, Everybody came flooding out onto the roads of the whole city, just everywhere. And I said, uh-oh. I pulled my motorbike over. I couldn't go in the People walked. I couldn't anywhere. I couldn't drive anywhere. The kids were dancing and singing. The people were clapping in the streets. They were waving flags. And the kids started to taunt me. I was like, I've gotten myself into a little trouble here. So finally, I was able to ease away, and the crowds kind of opened for me, and I said, and I kept going toward the church. And then in another place, I had to stop. And some guys, some big guys, some ruffians came, some, you know, high school guys that were kind of rough, came, and they lifted up the back of my motorbike. I said, oh, I'm in trouble here. I thought I was going to get beaten. And so then I said in the local language, Yandi, Nvasiga, Nwamasiga Fe Bangri. I told hey, let me go. I just want to go home. And they looked at me, oh, and they let me go. And I learned real quick that I needed to separate not only my national identity, but who they thought I was, and to let them know I was, in that moment, supporting the national team. So the next time I said, before I go out, I put a Guinean flag on my motorbike, and when people start, you know, celebrating, I'm going down the street smiling, yeah, they won, they won, they won. Other than that, better stay at home. So, one, is there one final question? I think it's time to close. Okay. Well, thank you. May God bless you. Uh, let's close with a quick word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the many lessons you teach us about being your servants. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to be your missionaries to the world. Maybe there's someone here, Lord, who's struggling with that call. Bless them, I pray. Help us to look at the needs of the unreached and to respond, and knowing that you will fit us as you call us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you tomorrow. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at GYCWeb.com.
www.ghostsandmysteries.org. <laughs>